Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. Today's a bit of a bonus episode. Uh, For those of you that have watched a program on Netflix called Indian Matchmaking, I watched it a couple weeks ago and I found it to be very thought provoking. And uh, I'm so lucky that I was able to interview one of the standout characters from the program, Aparna, and get a little bit more context and detail about how the show was filmed, you know, what was editing, what was her personality, how she feels about some of her polarizing statements, how she feels about some of the polarizing commentary of the program. She she definitely gives us a lot of insight into what really went on in the show. And uh, it was so interesting to talk to her because I, I myself, w- when I was watching it, I didn't know how to feel. I don't know if you guys experienced something similar well, and beyond that, it's not my place to provide commentary on, on somebody else's culture, nor do I want to. And I'll, I'll largely tell you kind of what the dialogue is in the media about this show, some of the polarizing opinions by reading uh, quotes from Indian American reporters who have had different things to say about this show, um, because I just I, I didn't have the right context or understanding of what about some of the behavior is the exception what is kind of the norm? Is there a norm? And beyond that, we all know you can't accurately uh, portray an entire culture in a, a reality show. My God, and I, I think that's a mistake a lot that's, that's often made when um, reality programs that air in the United States feature a certain segment of a different culture. I think it's also like on the viewer to not be so dense to think that one segment of is in any way representative of the vast diversity that exists across cultures and more importantly within them. Right. So I, I took to experts and did a lot of research of how critics felt about the show that I'll read to you. And I wanted to talk to Aparna firsthand about her experience, especially because a lot of what I saw as a woman felt like uh, quite unfair in terms of double standards and a bit of the sexism that was being directed toward her for kind of like knowing what she wants and being selective, even though on the surface there, some of the commentary was kind of like, you don't like comedy or beaches. And I get that. And we go through that. But I also think there's an element of it that was unfair on the matchmakers part, whose name is Seema Taparia, by the way. And if you need a refresher about what the show's about, because I already got too ahead of myself. Basically on this show, there's a um, a matchmaker, marriage consultant named uh, Seema And she kind of travels all over the U.S. and uh, to India, all over the world, trying to help six or seven clients find the perfect match for kind of a hybrid arranged marriage, modern courting situation where, you know, it's it's the their full decision. They're looking for an ideal match based on a certain you know criteria but theoretically if they she matches two people up they go on some dates it works out it would theoretically pick up very fast the courting process would and it would be a very intentional date to marry type of situation and it's interesting because even later you'll you'll hear me talking to Aparna and I'll say well isn't it kind of modernized because it's giving people the choice and she's like well that's a misconception about arranged marriage people generally do have a choice and this is where it's not on me, a white person, to comment on the, you know, cultural and customary nuances of Indian families, of Indian American families, of the many different South Asian individuals she spoke to throughout this show. And also, it's not I don't want to reduce a culture down to what's presented on this show either, because I don't think that's fair or accurate. I guess what I'm saying is I wasn't clear on 
it's like to pre- pre- present dis- you know discriminatory practices in matchmaking seems like a big problem but you can look at this two ways is showing it as kind of status quo without pointing out the problem without trying to correct for it doing its job and just exposing it or is it the responsibility of a program like this to offer up some sort of point of view or perspective about how this needs to be changed or be improved you know it's kind of uh hard to say and i read very different opinions of this so for example a woman named malika rao who's indian american wrote for vulture some viewers seem to separate the show's evident entertainment value it was ranked in the most popular section of netflix over its debut weekend from its troubling aspects to make sense of their draw to it. On Twitter, people have accused Netflix of idealizing a Hindu supremacist ideology, while others protest that the show should at least offer a critique of the isms at play. A Pakistani-American friend wrote me saying that she'd be fine with the show if white people weren't watching it, given that it might serve to reinforce reductive notions of a place and people. But then, colorism and racism have long been seen as forces at loggerheads, air your dirty laundry, and white people only have more reason to stereotype. Personally, I found the debate confusing. The show presents reality more or less as it is, with, of course, all of the toying with reality built into a reality TV show. But small manufactured dramas aside, it presented a more unvarnished view than usual. On The Bachelor, where judgments based on skin color happen as a rule, a euphemism that someone is not a good fit veils the the truth. At least on this show, people state things in reflection of the warts and all truth. Hindus are largely castists. Much of India today leans Hindu supremacist. Marriage is a business and a game, whether in India or America, and grotesque from many angles. Taparia seems to hit on some profound universal truth when at the show's beginning, she blithely references not the wedding industry, but the marriage industry. So that's the perspective of one Indian American reporter from Vulture. Um, On the other hand, I was reading an article from CNN. I believe it's an SVP named uh, Mitra Kalita. And... She said, despite trending on every social platform and the streaming service all week, the series has been criticized for perpetuating harmful stereotypes, colorism, sexism, elitism, heteronormativity in the caste system, and the shallow transactional nature of Indians looking for a life partner. I'm ready to wade into the debate. As somebody, as someone who has spent her whole life as an Indian, much of her career chronicling the country and its diaspora, and written two books on global Indians, I think the criticism is misplaced. Seema Auntie is not the problem. We are the problem. Seema is the matchmaker, by the way. I fear that the art of nuance and subtlety has been lost on critics. They want a deeper discussion of the rampant colorism on display here. The word fair to refer to skin tone is used over and over without second thought. They want acknowledgement of entrenched and intentional endogamy that maintains Indian power structures rooted in caste and wealth. They want mothers and mothers-in-laws to stop meddling and enforcing impossible-to-meet standards. But this is us. The critics are not wrong, but their target is. That the show was filmed before George Floyd died, but released after, it makes the reality even more poignant. Unilever announced last month that it is removing the word fair from its fair and lovely line of skin whitening products. The company now says it chooses to emphasize glow, even tone, skin clarity, and radiance. As Americans know all too well, corporate policy is one matter. Changing the hearts and mind of family and society is much harder. Herein lies the genius of Indian matchmaking. Maybe Oscar-nominated director Smriti Mundra and veteran showrunner J.C. Begley know exactly what they are doing. Just look at the series' narrative pacing, music selection, and cutaway moments with adorable elderly couples. Their decisions are deliberate and calculated and intended to affect change. That's the role and power of media. They're not redeeming the cavalier manner in which families perpetuate inequality and outdated thinking. They're exposing it. And then about the matchmaker, too. Uh, 
I, you know, I've seen her referred to as being highly regressive and kind of perpetuating, um, you know, highly flawed processes involved in uh, in matchmaking. And conversely, in the that same scene, in that the CNN article I was just reading from, she said Seema Auntie is the ultimate businesswoman, and her ability to change is a revolution itself, representing the chameleon-like adaptation of Indians in a connected world. Confronted with non-traditional challenging candidates to place, she does not give up, instead turning to life coaches, astrologers, and fellow matchmakers who might have more modern networks. Then in another CNN article by a woman named Aditi Sangal, uh, she said, but the show fails to contextualize or even question these problematic beliefs when they're brought up by its characters, presenting them instead as the status quo. With that, Netflix missed an opportunity to challenge a social system fraught with cultural biases and also educate a global audience on important nuances. In Seema Taparia, the show found a regressive anchor who merely peddles flawed practices. I just wanted to give you some different angles. Seema Taparia is, is really operating. She's kind of like an online dating platform in, in person form. And as a matchmaker, she's allegedly you know paid and throw, th- flown around the world to set up, you know, what I assume to be wealthy families if they're going to pay to fly out a matchmaker um, with their, you know, ideal partner. But you'll hear her say things like, you know, she's tall, slim, trim, educated from a good family. You know, I, I, I can give her 95 marks out of 100. So she has the upper hand to choose the boys as if slim, trim, educated. You know what I mean? Tall, like all of these characteristics are like what make you incredibly eligible. And obviously, as a woman, reducing women down to those physical characteristics bothers me. As an American, I don't want to speak to the accuracy on, you know, Indian American or Indian culture as a whole as it relates to the way race and castes are spoken about. But I read a lot about it and I just, I don't know, I encourage you to do the same. Um, ultimately, what the director of Indian Matchmaking, the show, said is that she welcomes the conversations and backlash that are happening. And she told CNN, I totally understand why people feel like you're exposing some of them are problematic things that are in our culture but that's where we are i would never want to make a show that sanitizes that because i think we need to have those conversations and we need to push to do better as a community and as a culture and then to loop back to who we're talking to today aparna the director said she was amazingly candid and she says some things that might rub people the wrong way but she owns it and she's very specific about what she wants she holds herself to a really high standard so she holds other people to a really high standard whether it's matchmakers or a potential life partner Like all of us, she's a work in progress. I think she's learning more about herself through this process, just like I did, just like we all do when we're dating and sort of navigating, trying to figure out how much of ourselves do we compromise. Um, She talked to about how she tried to make the contributors as diverse as possible. And the representation is really important to her because there wasn't much on screen that reflected her life as a South Asian person growing up in the 90s. It's why she took her work on Indian matchmaking so seriously, even as she acknowledged the series is a very narrow slice of South Asian life. She theorizes that is also one of the reasons why the show has become a lightning rod for criticism, because people are so starved for such representation. There are very few shows that represent the South Asian experience, so I think we are looking for each one of them to represent a lot of the South Asian experience, when in fact we are a billion and a half people around the world. Mundra said, It is an extremely diverse culture, and there's no one way to completely tell the story of South Asians and their relationship to anything, whether it's marriage, religion, or family. So... That's what she ultimately said. Um, To give you more context about Aparna, and then we'll hop into the interview, there's one last thing I'll point out in case you want to round up. I didn't, you know, want to reel these off to her. Uh, I mean, we talked about many of them, but there's a Vulture article that's kind of tongue-in-cheek 
that says all the things Indian matchmaking's Aparna simply cannot stand. I'll include all of these links in the episode notes. It's kind of one of those things where the they they're like, uh, due to her, how do we put this kindly demanding personality? Look, the women woman likes things the way she likes them, and you better believe she knows exactly what she likes and what she doesn't. It just so happens that she doesn't like much. It kind of it's th- these things are so funny when people are criticizing reality characters because they probably know it'll get back to them. I struggle with this sometimes too. It's like you know those YouTube drama channels, especially the ones about like beauty gurus, where they're like. You know, no shade, no shade. I only have love for James Charles, but I wish that troll would go back and crawl under the bridge he came from. And it's like, whoa, no shade? I mean, what? You literally just put him under a metaphorical bridge and called him a troll. Like, I'm pretty sure there's shade there. But uh, anyways, Vulture, like, I can't really decide what they think. But anyways, they listed off the things Aparna hates. Uh, And so you have context for what we're talking about. She says she doesn't like football. She doesn't like watching football. She doesn't like seeing somebody all the time, seeing her future husband all the time. She's wants to be, have gone to more than 40 countries. She hates three hour dates. She doesn't not. She doesn't like people that want to be the funniest guy in the room. She doesn't. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't like people who don't know Bolivia has salt flats. She doesn't like lawyers or being a lawyer. She doesn't like people who want the same thing she does. She doesn't like changing herself for others, cooking, the outdoors, comedy, People she called the funny man, people who are seven years older than her, the food at Rice University, not being good at axe throwing, what red wine that isn't Cabernet, men without a clear career path. Even if they've written three books, that's not fair. You'll hear more about that later. Men who want to live near the ocean, Norway, beaches, lying on a beach for more than two to three hours, relaxing for 10 days, a mountain she climbed in Patagonia, Dubai, Disney World, being a lawyer, South Africa and other weird touristy places, Cuba. Uh, most of her first states, Chicago, when she's on a date and the guy talks to people, uh, you know, the 5K she has to run for a friend's bachelorette party, passionately romantic men looking inward at why she's so demanding, being a lawyer for 10 years, this one goat in her goat yoga class, cakes at weddings, flowers at weddings, first dances at weddings, children at weddings, seeing a child at her wedding, waiting for people to begin eating, Los Angeles, and I think that's it. <laughs> so... This is why she's polarizing. And the, the, see, and I also wanted to tell you that because it's so out of context. You're like, gee, she hates a lot of stuff. But when she explains it, it makes more sense. Like the conversation, I had to cut like some parts out of it just to make it shorter. But like an example would be like we talk about the how out of context the Patagonia comment is later. Or, you know, saying she doesn't like South Africa. She talks later about how she um, experienced like incredibly racist behavior toward her. A lot of the stuff we talk about that I just mentioned she hates, she had... It was a lot of editing, a lot of like selective uh, passages taken out for uh, the production of it. And while I do think she is a straight shooter and she's incredibly intelligent and she knows exactly what she wants and she's unwilling to compromise on that. I also think we need to look inward for why we fault women for doing that, because my instinct and I told her this was like when I first watched it, I didn't know how to feel about her. But then I was kind of like watching Asima to to be to not take to her to find her incredibly difficult and stubborn and blah 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 when the progeny had rejected 150 women and she was just, just like adored him you know I, I i felt these sexist undertones and these double standards watching it and as a woman i can speak to how frustrating i find that idea especially because of this you know thankless task women are, are given all day every day that first and foremost they must be likable they must be agreeable and if they're going to be honest they must produce it with such tact so as not not to off put anybody but like why can't you just be yourself later she's kind of like so what if i don't 
like if I don't like going to some type of function, like am I not allowed to have preferences? And I'm like, you're right, you are. It's it's interesting. And I and I and I wanted to have this conversation and to bring her on the show to kind of explain like what might be taken out of context when you watch it on TV to kind of explain her experience with matchmaking um, to learn more about her period. Cause I, th- I think she's really interesting and uh, beyond that to clarify some of those statements she made, which I think she does because it almost seemed to a point like they were characterizing her so heavily. I was like, wait, there's, th- I don't think this is actually an ac- accurate representation of her. And I don't think she felt that way either. So you'll have to listen, but I just always want to challenge ourselves and we're like, wow, this person's unlikable to acknowledge that there's often an unfair agenda on behalf of producers that see the entertainment value and the cringe factor of producing women to be in, you know, an archetype, a, a villain type. Uh, and beyond that, ask ourselves just because it's not finessed the way I might like to hear it, does that make it wrong? Just because it's not popular to dislike, you know, dislike beaches does that mean it's wrong like can't she just not like beaches and it's funny because you'll hear me later i don't i'm too i am too restless and i burn so easily that i don't actually clock many hours on a beach i love being around a beach and sitting under an umbrella but like yeah people that love to like sunbathe i get really bored around so it's it's i think it's good to know thyself like i don't think i'm a monster of a human because like sitting on a beach isn't my favorite activity you know it's just the thing that most people like. And I do like them, but it's like she was talking about specifically the activity, right? Of like laying out or whatever. So anyway, guys, just just some food for thought. I hope you enjoy this episode. I know I, I, know I don't always talk about things perfectly. Uh, I want to do the best I can to not project my own judgment onto situations I haven't been in, a culture I didn't grow up in, or a context that I can't possibly ascertain from a single show and then project onto an entire culture. I don't think that's fair and I don't think that's accurate. And beyond that, all I want is to be able to have women on this podcast, a diverse array of women that are present in the media we consume, to tell us their stories, to tell us what it's been like to be in the public eye, to make us rethink the way we judge women that are presented to us in this very uh, trope-like formula of what producers know the public will easily digest and then we regurgitate in the form of tweets and instagrams judging women further when really we may be making the problem worse you know i just want us all to to look deeper and sometimes the places you need to search for the most depth are often the most shallow of programs that tend to feed into these types of uh depictions of women that i don't think are totally fair there were so many interesting people on the show Obviously, I can't be collectively exhaustive in every issue on the show, and I didn't want to overfocus on things she wasn't involved in. Um, but I think we have a really great conversation about her experience specifically. So there'll probably be another episode out this week. I know not everybody watched the show, so when I do like a more specific like bonus interview or show, kind of like Jessica Simpson, I try to separate it out. And uh, but I'm not going to tell you what it's about yet because I have to finish it. <laughs> so DVD. But first, for this week's episode, I want to thank our advertisers so much. Because I'm so excited about them. I mean, if you have been around this podcast for a while, I always talk about the notion of being breezy. I just like love a fresh, dewy, breezy vibe. I largely think it's grounded in uh, how into the movie Blue Crush I was with Kate Bosworth. (laughs) But truly, this brand, when I think dewy, when I think glowy, when I think fresh, it's kind of like word association. I think of Glossier. And I'm so excited that they're sponsoring this episode. It was started by Emily Weiss. You might remember her from her blog, Into the Gloss. 
but it's also a community-driven beauty brand. Glossier is constantly in conversation with their community about the best ingredients, techniques, and dream products. And the result is are, are products that condense the best of beauty and are inspired by real routines. I am obsessed with several products. They're very much known for like it's it's I'd almost call it like no makeup makeup, but it can be it's buildable to whatever you want it to be. My obsessions are like I mean I have so many, but the one I'll, the ones I'll focus on if you want to peruse the site. I love boy brow. It it voluminizes your eyebrows and kind of pigments where there's sparseness and it's just an incredible eyebrow product that isn't overbearing and I have trouble controlling a pencil and this is like a fluffy uh, almost spoolie that helps make your uh, eyebrows uh, just kind of live their best life, to use a technical term. <laughs> they also have this uh, eye color set where they have a their product, this product called Skywash, which is a sheer matte eye color. It's, got, it's like a liquid to powder long-wearing eyeshadow that gives this diffused soft wash of color in these beautiful Southwest hues. I use that with the Pro Tip Liquid Eyeliner. It's long-wearing bl- black liquid eyeliner that hugs really tight to your lash line. And doesn't leave me with that accidental immensely thick line that pretty much used to happen to me daily. And I top it with Lash Slick. Um, It's a great everyday mascara. It curls, it sculpts, it lengthens. It is not clumpy. And it's water resistant, but not proof, which I like because I I don't want it to smudge or flake, but I need it to come off at night, right? I love those for the makeup products, but I've also recently really gotten into their skincare. And the product that I am loving so far is called Future Dew. What they call a shortcut to... Kind of that amazing glow you have, like, right after you have a facial or, like, after you put on all your serums, you're like, damn, I look fresh as hell. But it kind of fades. It, Future Dew kind of, like, extends and bottles that effect to make it last. It's an oil serum hybrid packed with uh, nourishing ingredients, and it doesn't feel greasy. And you actually apply it at the last step of your skincare routine, like, after serums, after moisturizer, after sunscreen. And honestly, I, I love that it provides that kind of dewy glow without shimmer. There's no shimmer. There's no glitter. I like my serums how I like my greeting cards, glitter-free, you know? Anyway, seriously, I absolutely love this brand. I think they have incredible formulas. I've been using Boy Brow and, and, and Cloud Paint for a while, and recently using their skincare, I've been so impressed, and I hope you guys will give it a try, too. So get that glowy, dewy look for yourself by visiting Glossier.com slash podcast slash be there in five. Plus, all new customers will get 10% off their first order on Glossier.com slash podcast slash be there in five. Certain exclusions do apply, but I just want to be clear. G-L-O-S-S-I-E-R dot com slash podcast slash be there in five. And that's how the show is spelled F-I-V-E. Thanks to Glossier. Hope you guys will give it a try. And now to the interview. All right, everybody. I'm so excited to have with me here Aparna Shawakramani. Yes, that's perfect. Okay, okay, awesome. And I'm so excited to get to talk to you. She's amidst a work day. She's still a lawyer. We're going to find out if reluctantly. Um, and I assume if you're here, you've watched the show. But for those of you that haven't, um, Aparna is from a show called Indian Matchmaking. I'd argue the breakout star and like the only person that made me laugh out loud. But I, I also, <laughs> you've been the source of some interesting d- discussion and commentary and memes online and uh We'll get to it. But more importantly, um, she's from Houston. She's incredibly accomplished. She went to Vanderbilt Law, has been an attorney for over a decade. She also has a luxury travel business on the side, and which I also want to ask you about. Um, and Aparna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me today. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Um, so if, for those of you that aren't familiar, Indian Matchmaking is a show about Mumbai's top matchmaker, a woman named Seema, and the show follows her quest to match her, I think, six or seven clients with a life partner. 
And she does what you'd expect a matchmaker to do, like asking people what they want and aligning, you know, their bios that seem compatible, except it's kind of an interesting spin on it because it's a matchmaker that's fairly traditional, like almost applying her algorithm to modern people who are looking for life partners. And, um, and then when I say traditional, it's kind of uh, a hybrid approach to modern dating and then in, you know, age old practice uh, in, you know, some parts of South Asia, which is arranged marriage. And I just found there was a lot of entertainment and depth to the show. And um, I'm excited you're here because, I mean, like, first of all, how are you? Like, you're in the thick of the show's popularity. Like, it's ranking. It's huge. Like, what's it like? Yeah, I call it ground zero. I'm like in the middle oh, of it. Um, first, I was like, oh, it's the eye of the storm. And then I was like, no, those are quiet and calm. This is the opposite of that. <laughs> um, this is chaos. And, and in the in many good ways, too. I mean, it's it's there's the good, there's the bad, there's the ugly. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to soak in all the positive and I'm engaging in conversations with so many people um, one on one and on mass social media platforms. And it's been a really rewarding 10, 10 days now. So my contributor as my other contributors and I are very good friends. And one of them is Shaker. Well, you know, I went on a couple of dates with him. I think they showed one on the show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we talk every day for like an hour and just catching up when we call it our month we say how is your month today um (laughs) every day since the show launched feels like a month you know there's um there's highs there's lows there's uh press there's friends there's families there's people's opinions I mean it's it's more than one would experience in a normal 30 days that's for sure oh my gosh I can't imagine like and it kind of just flips on like a switch flips and all of a sudden all these people seem to know you and are interested and are bombarding you. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's a fascinating experience. Did you watch the show before it came out? No. So we weren't given previews um, of the show. We watched it when everyone else did, or a little earlier, I guess, like the moment it dropped, Shaker and I were on the phone. It uh, drops in midnight uh, LA time. And Shaker and I were on the phone at 2 AM and he's like, press refresh. It's up. And then we both hung up on each other and like watched the show <laughs> at two o'clock in the morning on Thursday last week. Um, so that was the first time I had seen it. That's the first time I'd seen some of the other contributors on the show. Um, that was the first time I learned their names and their stories. So it was oh. a whole new world to just be watching it. And um, especially that late at night, I'm like a, a grandma. I like to go to bed. Ten o'clock. <laughs> I had to nap and then wake myself up with like an alarm. And everyone's like, how did you sleep? Weren't you nervous? And I was like, I'll sleep just fine. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I feel like I don't know how I would respond. It's a, I'd almost be like, I don't know if I'd be watching it immediately or if I'd kind of put it off. I, I always assume people preview it before it's live, but that's interesting that you watched it with everybody else. Mm-hmm. Well, I had passed that started the next morning. So um, if I didn't watch it at 2 a.m. when I woke up, I wouldn't know what they were talking about in that. Right. Just, <laughs> <laughs> that would be yeah. Wait, so just to start out, how did you get on the show? What was that process? And so I was in LA one weekend. I had uh, decided to go home a little early on a Sunday. I was just tired. I'd had an exhausting weekend there. It was fun, but time to go home, had to work yeah. on So I flown standby on United and I was in line waiting to board to see if they had a seat for me. And I was on Facebook and someone had posted, are you South Asian? Are you single? Are you looking for your life partner? Are you ready to get married? And I was like, yes, 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 yes. Like that's me. And she was like, apply here. Um, was it an ad? No, it was a friend of a friend. Oh, I didn't catch that. Okay. And uh, so I was like, oh, I wonder what this is about. And they all live in California, these people that I know. And 
I said, click. And I applied. It said like link a few pictures or attach a few pictures. So I guess from my phone, I must have uploaded a few. I don't recall those, but um, <laughs> I boarded the plane, never thought anything of it. Uh, a week later, someone called me and they're like, got your application. And I said, did I apply for a car loan or a house loan? <laughs> What did I apply for? Like, like one of those getaways that I want? Right. Uh, a, a timeshare presentation. Right. Like, what is it? They're like, the matchmaking show. And I was like, oh, yeah. Hi. And they're like, can we get on a Skype call with you? And so that's how casting began. And uh, about two years later, here we are. Two years. Okay. So that's what's never clear to me about these shows is when it's actually happening. And I'm always looking for clues of like, the timing um, and like whether it's like what people are wearing or context clues. So yeah. was it filmed throughout the past two years or specifically two years ago? No, two years ago was when I applied and then it took mm. months before we started taping. So I think we taped from last um, April to December so of 2019. So we just finished taping seven months ago. Oh, okay. Interesting. April, April through December. That's a really long filming season. Well, you saw the show. They run around the whole world and they have to do yeah. less in our own cities. And so, um, and, and they were obviously editing throughout it and, and piecing it together. Um, I think there was like 11 of us to begin with. So there were 11 of us that they were chasing around. Um, the yeah. world, you know, they were in India for like weeks. They were in America. They're, you know, Seema's in India and America. So I think that um, obviously production was more, uh, you know, difficult than normal. Yeah. I don't know. So did you go on dates and film throughout at different points throughout that period? Yeah, I was on um, for two or three days at a time. I would tape and then I'd forget about it. And then they'd call me a few months later and we'd tape again. And I forget about it. Like it was never a part of my life, really. It was a thing that hmm. I just entered once in a while and then life would resume. I would go back on the dating apps or I'd be dating someone or, um, you know, for very short periods of time in between. <laughs> Sometimes they wouldn't come to me for three, four months. So, um, yeah, it's interesting now to see how it's such a big part of my life, but it never was before. There's huh. never was. That's so interesting. Yeah. So did do does the show did it end up being close to how you felt it was described to you? No, definitely not. <laughs> no, what was the disconnect? Um, I thought this was a docu-series. It is more uh, reality television. And so I signed up for a docu-series. Um Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I signed up. I'm a lawyer in Houston. I'm in my 30s. I, I don't want to be in a fantasy suite. I don't want to be on television. Um, I'm certainly not going to be around in a bikini anytime soon. Um, so yeah, this is not this is not what I envisioned at all. But it's definitely a fun watch. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. And yeah, I mean, I thought, well, I was going to ask you to because I don't want to forget, will you tell me about your um, travel business? Yeah. So I started the business um, or I came up with the idea on Chris New Year's Eve in London, 2018. I was um, at the Soho house with a friend of mine in London and she lived there at the time. She still lives there. And she was like, let's start a business together. And we were having a little too much champagne. And I was like, yeah, let's start a business together. And um, <laughs> That night we, we should open a we should open a bar. It's like yeah. The drunk and <laughs> and then a week later we were texting and I was like, I'm kind of serious. She's like, so was I, but I was hoping that you'd reach out and talk to me about it. And so uh, I was already back home stateside. And um, so we started this business as a female centric, uh, female focused travel business. Um, and then um, 
we were like, how do we go about this? Is it content based? Is it, you know, is it about doing tours? Like, what do we think? And so the brainstorming phase went on for months and we finally came to some sort of conclusion and launched uh, our first curated tour in uh, February. And definitely COVID hit around that time. Like we were coming home from that first um, tour. It was successful. The people on the trip all loved it. We went to Jordan for seven days. And in the airport, there were in the Frankfurt airport, there was like temperature checks and people with masks and everybody was avoiding, you know, like other people and staying distanced. And and this is February. I mean, it didn't really strike us Mm -hmm. what it would turn into. But um, so now we're in that stage of the business where we're pivoting it and we're like, how do we make this work? Well, it's no longer female focused. It's everyone focused because mm-hmm. actually have to be female focused. It can be a modern traveler of any you know gender or, or mm-hmm. it doesn't. I don't know. It, so so now it's for everyone. And now there's content that is available because countries are now opening up at different um different rates and you know mm-hmm. at certain so we have city guides that we've published and that we're selling and basically as your country opens up and you start traveling you can use us as a resource um and once it becomes safe for all of us to travel again we'll resume our tours but that's the only way that we could figure out a way to still like share our passion of travel and they're simple they're two-page guides you know there would be a supplement to anyone's travel they're city specific they tell you where would Aparna sleep or eat or mm-hmm. stay or you know explore in that city and um, yeah so even if you're familiar with the city we've had uh, friends try it out and they're like this is perfect we didn't even know this about Nashville or Barcelona or you know London uh even if they are familiar so it's just it's a, it's a resource at this point. We'll see where it goes. I think that uh, the entrepreneurship journey is one of pivoting. I always say just pivot, yes. pivoting and pivoting and pivoting. And you never right. know well, I was like loving, there was a scene where you were on a Zoom call with Jay and like it went from like, hi, what's your name to like, here's here's how you should think about scaling your counterpainting <laughs> business. And I was like, yes. <laughs> I love the consultation. Immediately, I was like, hello. Um, yeah, we talked about my business a ton, you know, uh, but I guess it didn't, it wasn't ever brought up on the show, but it was taped a lot. Um, so it was interesting. I'm glad that Jay's business got a shout out though, because he was excited okay. and he's still thriving with it. He's also got a full-time job. We've all got full-time jobs. These are okay. creative outlets. These are our passion projects. Um, these are things that we hope will grow and scale, but we understand that they might not. <laughs> Yeah. And well, and I understand like you need to kind of milk the media for any projects you have going on. And I think the travel piece is important for you because the way you spoke about places, I would want to know where Aparna sleeps. And like, <laughs> I just, I just relate to you in terms of like, I don't love sand. I don't, I don't really have fun relaxing. It's not enjoyable for me. I, I need to be like stimulated. Yeah. <laughs> and I think hard. people will like misunderstand those things. Yeah. Well, my life is pretty relaxing. Like I'm not, a yeah. like, obviously I can have a side business and be a lawyer. Like I love my dog. I love my family. They live nearby. I love my friends. I'm like on my Peloton. My life is pretty relaxing. Like I'm yeah. having the weekends before COVID, you know, I'm traveling on the weekends. I don't need to escape from it. I don't need to go lie on a beach and feel like um, I need that moment to like right. my well-being and stuff. My well-being's in check, like day to day. Like I attend to it and I have time for it. I make time for it. So when someone's like, hey, where do you want to go for 10 days? Which was the question I was given. I was so excited. I was like, oh, 
I want to go to Chile. I want to look at my head. I'm telling, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to tell them about how I want to go to the Atacama Desert. Then I want to do Patagonia side glacier Chile. Then I want to do the vineyards in the middle of the country. I like want to see the whole thing. I would take the 10 days and I'd run with it. And then he rephrases the question and he goes, what if you had a relaxing 10 days? And we're on a first date. Mm. I came up with the perfect answer. And then you changed the question on me. The question was, (laughs) what do you want to do for 10 days? And I was going to blow you away with my Chile answer. And um, then he put the word relaxing in front of it. And I literally, you can see my face, it like becomes right. all And I'm like, but, but why <laughs> put the word relaxing in front of it? Um, so. In context like that is important. Are people giving you a hard time about like the salt flats? Not a hard time. I think that's become like a comedy comedic thing. I mean, someone's um, constantly posting the analytics on Google or and sending it to me. Like in India, it's like skyrocketed. If you look up <laughs> flats, it's like one of the most explored things Google is searching for right now. I mean, people write me thousands of DMs a day. I don't get to most of them, but I skim them. And they're, they're, they're a lot about the Bolivian flats. <laughs> like, I actually really want to go. Is my golden balloon going to go to Bolivia now? And I'm like, <laughs> balloon should really be hitting up the tourism board over there and being like, hello, like, <laughs> right. where's my royalty check? Um, half the world now wants to go visit the salt flats in rainy season when the flamingos are there. So that's amazing no I thought so many of those conversations uh like I don't know I've watched a lot of reality tv and I know this is positioned more as a docuseries and everything's about context and editing And, and when I asked people questions everybody wanted to know do you feel like the depiction of you like you were you got a accurate edit or an edit that you were happy with or kind of what was your take on how you were portrayed it's funny. I watched myself and I didn't um, see myself in those edits that they chose until maybe the goat yoga. Um, and that's fine. I mean, I think that there's so many things that happened off camera that I believe flesh out my story and my perspective. Yeah. And I feel like everyone who contributed to the show could say the same thing. In fact, many have said the same thing to me. Um, but that's not the way television works. And, um, you know, those are choices that are made not by me. I'm just a contributor. And um was my contribution accurately depicted? I don't think anyone's can on television. I don't think it can, especially reality television. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, was there anything in particular that you felt would have been like helpful context to any pushback you're getting or something about your story that you felt like was a huge missing piece? Definitely. I mean, I think a lot of people are being very harsh on my mother for being uh, defensive with Srini. And there was a mm-hmm. lot of things that happened off camera there, a lot, a lot, a lot, um, that fleshed out why we were unhappy with the situation. And you, as the viewer, don't get to see any of it, not one mm-hmm. of it. And so for that story to be tied up the way it was tied up in a little package, it was, um, for me, you know, not something that I agreed with. Um, again, mm-hmm. choice, again, but there's just a ton yeah. that I don't see. And um very specific reasons that I was going to never talk, you know, I was going to talk to him never. And it had nothing to do with this podcast, nothing at all. Um, and why did my mom use that choice phrase um, with him? Uh, nothing to do with this podcast either, but uh, um, that wasn't shown to you. So. Right. Well, I, yeah, it's like, I kind of figured because he, you know, he's a podcaster and an author, like he does his own thing. Like it didn't really seem to add up that, that would be that's such like a harsh judgment for I mean, those are literally my two occupations and I'm talking to you. I didn't really see it that way. Um, 
And I love uh, you. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah, I think those things are tough. And like my argument too, cause like, I'm not gonna lie. Even at first I was like, I was having to second guess my responses at times too, because I think that when I actually sat down and watched it, I was like, I actually think she's quite um, successful and confident and decisive. And she's being kind of branded as stubborn and picky. Mm -hmm. And I don't think like this is, I'm just very fascinated with how women are portrayed in media in that sense, because I, I kind of felt like the way Seema talked about like a guy that has had 150 rejected 150 women. Like he was like unsure, but you rejected two guys. Mm-hmm. And you were stubborn and like difficult. And I just, and I don't know if I'm misinterpreting that as being a little bit sexist. I don't know if like there's some context I'm missing there, but I just thought it was a little bit unfair to label you a, a self-actualized person that knows what you want as being needlessly selective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I found that interesting too, especially when I watched the show and I could see the other contributors. Um, there's obviously a very, uh, different way that uh, Seema, the matchmaker, looks at men and women and expects things from men and women. Um, I think she called unsure uh, the the boy that ghosted Nadia, allegedly, allegedly ghosted Nadia. Um, I think she calls him unsure. <laughs> I'm like, you know, this is a very strange phrase you're using um, where the phrases you use for me are, are quite harsh and unnecessary, really. Um, I'm in the service industry. I have clients also. I would never say these things about my clients um, that uh, in in, the, in public or behind closed doors. I'm I'm representing them. I'm giving them my services and I act accordingly. So for me, that was really mm. shocking to see her speak about anyone that way, be it me or um, any of the other contributors. Like she is, a, she's providing a service to us. Like this is her. Right. So it's interesting perspective too on the, you know, I, I got called stubborn. Pradhaman got a box of chocolates. I want chocolates. Right. Where are my chocolates? <laughs> well, that was kind of my, I thought it was maybe being edited to imply that without saying it, because I can't decide if the, the way the takeaway from the show is supposed to be like, I think some people are frustrated because they almost feel like it should be corrective but in showing like what it is, it also is an opportunity for a reflection. And I think people kind of lie, like sit somewhere in between those or uh, in terms of what they're taking away from it, from it. And I kind of went back and forth because I thought like she meant, she made a comment about how you had like, I don't know if it was too many shoes or something, but then in Projiman's palatial closet, he has like th- like a thousand pairs and nothing was said. And so I was like, are they kind of editing this to like showcase that dichotomy or is that a coincidence? I wasn't really sure. I- I'll never know. I'll never yeah. know. I don't understand editing and TV. I'm just a lawyer in Houston. <laughs> For me, the story is very interesting to watch. And a lot of people are peeling back layers, especially now day 10, day 12, as we move forward. Um, in fact, the, the colorism stuff's coming to light on a whole new front. Um, a very insightful person shared a post with me um, where they had written about me and they said, what if Aparna was a scripted white woman? What would we say about her? We wouldn't say any of these things about her. We would, we would laud her for all of her um, positive attributes and her uh, direct way of speaking and her success in her career and her life. And I thought I had never even considered that. I had yeah. never considered you know, race into it. What if I was a different race on the show? What if this was taken as a scripted show instead of unscripted? Um, what if, you know, it, it still was unscripted, but I was black or I was white or I was, you know, right. 
I, I think it's very interesting the way that people's visceral reactions are coming out. And I wonder on many levels if they're uh, based on all kinds of issues that are very deep-seated and very deep-rooted in, in their belief system, whatever that belief system is. When people were going through their requirements, for example, for their partner, at like best, they were superficial. At worst, they seemed discriminatory. Mm-hmm. And I think the colorism in that, too, is kind of interesting and a lot of what I've seen a lot of commentary about in terms of like at times being presented very unapologetically what people were looking for in terms of skin tone. Mm-hmm. And I think for like, who I'm not here to project my like urban secular Western values onto somebody. I just hadn't seen that before. And it was interesting to see it. So be so transparent. Mm-hmm. Um, and have you kind of seen any of those discussions brought into it in terms of race? Yeah. And I guess the point of it is, is that like a lot of people who are not South Asian don't realize that the British, you know, ruled over India for so many years and brought their ideas of beauty and um, and race and culture um, throughout the entire country. So that the more you looked like them, which was fair and tall, the more beautiful you were. And we uh, we being Indians um, gained our independence in that country in 1947. That's not that long ago. That's our uh, grandparents, some of them who are still alive, you know, who were uh, being raised in in a British colonial India. And so it is interesting to see the way that in India they spoke about it more. I mean, here you in the show, even you barely hear about it. Like I never mentioned it to me. It doesn't matter. But I was raised in London and the U.S., you know, like um, Nadia doesn't mention it. Like I think one girl at the end mentions it, the new character that you meet in the last five minutes. And I am trying not to read so many comments, but I definitely know that people reach out to me and being like, how crazy is it that an American girl would say that, that a South Asian in the U.S. would say that? And I think, I'm not speaking on her behalf, but a lot of um, Indian South Asians came over in the 70s and the 80s on those um, visas for engineers and doctors and stuff in the U.S. And when those families came over, they kept the traditions of of their Indian life. So they're still in the 70s and 80s of India. India has moved on, mm. progressed, um, but the immigrant mindset that they have then instilled in their children might not have progressed. My family came here in the mid-90s, like we're, we're not your typical South Asian immigrant to the U.S., but I know a lot of people who are children of those immigrants, and sometimes they are very traditional in the strangest ways, and you can't place why or how, but it's because their immigrant parents maintained their cultural values from the 70s and 80s of what India was when they came over. It's frozen in time. That's such an interesting way to look at it. The evolution that's happened in India isn't even accurately reflected in Indian Americans who you might expect to have evolved faster or in a different way. but yeah, a tradi- that's a really interesting yeah perspective. Um, in your experience, do you, have you felt a double standard in terms of you being confident and, and selective and knowing what you want versus you know South Asian men doing the exact same? Like, has that ever been something on your radar, or was that kind of something that the show introduced? It's definitely something the show introduced. I live in my we all live in our bubbles, right? Before the show, yeah. I was living in Houston, Texas. All my friends went to comparable schools like me. Many of them are South Asian. They have married their peers and their counterparts who are also South Asian. For me, that's normalcy. We create our own normalcy. We create our own peer. And for me, it was normal to speak your mind and to have a partner that was equal to you and to have someone that compliments you. I mean, if someone actually asked me what my list of criteria for men is, it's not 
what was shown as a bonus criteria. Like they were actually dumpy if you didn't know about the Bolivian salt flats. I, I mean, if you asked me, well, I haven't heard, can you tell me more about it and showed interest? I'd be so happy. I'd be like, oh, it's this really cool place, you know, but that doesn't make for good TV. Come on. Like, right. or like you would actually be like, you're too funny for me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. Wait, 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 I was gonna. Is that something you like? You don't like like jokester types? No, not at all. And I don't see what why that's become so polarizing. Like I like cert, I like laid back guys who are more introverted, who are very intelligent, and who will randomly just zing you. Like yeah, you know, and you, they say something so out of their normal self that you are cracking up. Like you're in splits because it's so intelligent and it's so funny and it's so dry. And I love that guy. Like, I don't need to be at a dinner party with my friends and have my significant other lead the table in his storytelling. If he did that, I would probably be rolling my eyes because most of the time, if that happens to me, I never find that story funny or entertaining myself. And I was like, why put myself into a situation with a partner for the rest of my life, which I don't appreciate his story. I want to appreciate my partner. And if I don't appreciate that about him, then I should be able to say that to Seema. She is trying to find me the person for me. And, and someone has to marry the introverts. Like I'm saying, I want to, isn't that good? Right. No, totally. I mean, I'm married to an introvert and I call those type of dudes at like dinner parties, fun bobbies. They just like bring the attention and energy back to them. They're just like this token fun guy that lacks substance, but has the stories. Um, I don't like that guy. Why is that controversial? Why do we all have to like the same things? Like I like art museums. You might like, you know, I don't know, race cars. I don't know. But that's right. okay. Um, and everyone's like, how can you hate comedy? And I'm like, <laughs> it's my decision and my choice. Like, and that's okay. Too. It should be. I'm defending it. I think anybody's likes and dislikes if they're for a reason or even no reason. Like, what if you just don't like ketchup? Like, we're not judging that person. Like, you're so right. Yeah. I know. You kind of have to take a step back and be like, does it really matter that people have preferences, even if they're widely known to be popular? I mean, yeah. Party in New York, like five, six months ago, I made the whole group go to comedy cellar because it's good comedy and it's a great yeah. activity. For those people are very talented. So like, it's also not absolute, right? We live in like a pretty gray area in our real lives. Like I will, you'll totally. see Google Street, a comedy cellar once a year um, if I'm planning a bachelorette party or something. And I laughed my head off. Those people are so talented. Do I want to date a guy who thinks he's a guy at comedy cellar? Oh, definitely not. Right. And pay for my ticket to comedy cellar. I don't need that in my house. Right. No, I completely get what you're saying now. And I do think it's a little unfair for them to like almost cheekily put that up on your list of requirements as like, yeah. you know, right underneath like one something that's like way more paramount to what you actually need in somebody. That's where the reality TV of it comes in. Like this is not really about this process. It's about an entertaining story. Yeah. And it's a good story. I mean, those are becoming quite popular lines. Like we said, <laughs> in salt flats and not liking comedy and and right. whatever else is on that list. I don't even know because it's not my list. <laughs> like, it's not my right. list. This is a really intelligent, laid back guy. And that's it. Like, right. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's my list. If we're talking real lists. <laughs> well, if you I that was interesting, too, that you brought up Seema in the context of like you're her client. And I hadn't really thought about it that way because it's like a show. But, yeah, theoretically, like this is a job she's performing and you should be able to be honest about your needs. And it is a bit weird to 
slightly have them mocked in editing. I was going to ask you about the comedy piece, just honestly, because I find you very funny, like in, in a dry way, like you're not trying to be like a class clown, a relatable currency of humor that my nightmare is having to run a 5k at a bachelorette party. Like yeah. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> That's just true. We're running through Times Square and it's 7am. It's not fun. Like, right. Right. And like, I don't know. I just think above like anything else, what, you know, whatever talking about beaches or comedy or the salt flats, the, for me, the through line was like, not that you were difficult. You were like, if somebody doesn't like me, that's their problem. Like I like me. And meanwhile, we saw other women kind of agonizing over their rejections. And I was so glad you were there to be like, I'm fine. <laughs> like that's an important thing to portray on television that we don't see enough. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the I like me comment is, is true. Like I do like me and I, but I realize I'm also not everyone's cup of tea. So if someone rejects me, I just say, yeah, I wasn't right for you. And, and I respect that about you. Like um, Shaker said I, I wasn't his cup of tea. Um, and to this day, we're, we're really good friends. We're on the phone every day for an hour. I'm still not his cup of tea and he's still not my cup of tea. We're <laughs> good friends. Like, you know, we're looking for the one. We're not looking for a whole um, cast of characters to all find us attractive for whatever reasons they think is attractive, right? I'm trying right. to find someone who finds me attractive and uh, me as, as I am. And I think that was another part that was interesting where they um, showed where I said, I don't think I need to change myself for my partner. Um, mm -hmm. you know, Oprah, oh, right. Oprah Magazine wrote an article about it and we expanded on it there. But um, I, I still think that the, the parts that aren't shown are me saying, and I don't expect them to change for me. We're in our right. 30s now. We're not meeting when we're 19 years old and our worldviews are being shaped and formed as adults outside of our parents' homes. We, I have a certain view of how my family will play a part in my life. Like They will be an active part of my life. I have a certain view about the way that I travel, about the way that I vote, about the way that I view uh, current events. And right. it's not going to change at 35. And when the person comes to me and they're right for me and they don't believe the things I believe or see the world the way that I see it, I'm still going to love them and compromise in the fact that I'm going to accept them like that. And I want them to accept me like that because we're that far along in our lives where we've developed these, these parts of ourselves. Um, and I still think that's important. I'll stand by that statement, albeit fleshed out statement, fleshed <laughs> it out. Right. Him and his routine that he's built as an adult man. And like, I'm going to respect that about him. And when he talks to me about it, I'm going to try to be engaged in that conversation because it's important to him. Right. In that context, it makes complete sense and doesn't make it seem as inflexible as it was portrayed because <laughs> it was portrayed like, like, yeah, I'm, it almost seemed like you weren't willing to compromise on anything. But what you're saying is your core values as a person are pretty much developed at this point. And you would accept that about them too. I would, I would really want to accept that about them. And if I didn't, then they, they weren't going to be the person that I wanted to be with anyway. If I can't say to them, like, I love you as you are and with your perspectives and your worldviews, then am I really even engaged in being with that person and working on a relationship with them? My answer would be no, I'm not. So. Right. The work got to do the work for sure. <laughs> well, yeah. And it, it's interesting to, um, it's like the entire concept of even bringing Seema in, the way she described it is like, if these people are compatible, theoretically, the process would speed up uh, mm -hmm. relative to a typical courting situation. Um, do you think, 
and and in that context, it's like, yeah, you kind of have to be like hard and fast and just like get to the meat of it on these dates. You aren't evaluating these guys to just casually hang out. You're evaluating them as a partner and you have a finite period of time to do so. And then Seema wants your kind of feedback, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's matchmaking for marriage. It's not matchmaking for dating, for making a new friend, for grabbing a glass of wine once every few weeks after work and seeing where it goes over a year period. Like, it's do you want to marry this person and, and potentially quite soon? Um, so don't waste time. Like, make your decisions. Like you said, I'm decisive. I came across that way on television. I I feel like come across that way in real life. My mom laughs that I was decisive decisive when I was born. Like. Sometimes, like, we're, some people are decisive. Like, if right. where do you want to go to dinner? I'll tell you where I want to go to dinner. I'm never going to be like, I think you should decide. Or what do you think? I'll be like, here's where I want to go. What do you think? No, right. go somewhere else. Okay, how about this place? Like, I don't have right. time to really dally. That's my personality, and that's also okay. Like, we all have our personalities, and I'm not the dilly-dallying type. Well, and the danger, too, is like wh- – you should never suggest somebody gloss over or dilutes their personality in the context of trying to find a partner because the accepting them as they are is so important and insulting the way that they are isn't productive at all. You should be focused on matching somebody with that regardless of your opinion. And I think the one of the perks of getting married in your 30s is like, it's a huge gamble in your 20s. Do you grow in parallel or do you grow apart? You have so much personal evolution to do. And I think Uh, another thing you had said that I really loved is like, this is the only family member I'll ever get to pick. Mm -hmm. And you're picking a fully formed person, not a person that you hope has the highest probability of being compatible with you. Right, right. And we don't get to pick our kids even like some so many people have bad relationships with their parents because they're they're not compatible, like as as members and like you don't pick your parents and people don't like their own parents because they didn't pick those people. And like, literally, for me, this is my one shot. Like, this is going to be my home and my friend and my companion and my everything. Um, Right. And that's the way I view relationships. And that's my my particular view. Like, you know, there's parents that are like, I love my spouse the most. And other people like, I love my kids the most. Like, for me, I want to be the one that loves my spouse the most. Like, my kids will always be important if I'm lucky enough to have them. But like, I want to love my spouse the most. So if that's the decision I'm making now, and I'm picking the right person for myself, it better be someone that's a long haul candidate. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Well, do you think like, do you think the, this process or Seema's version of this process has the potential to be, I know it is successful, but like, I don't think anybody from the show is still together, right? Correct. We're all single. Would you do it again? Do you feel like there were parts of it that where it kind of broke down that you think would need to be revised? I I would maybe do it again. I mean, I think that um, matchmaking is um, very layered. You are having a relationship with your matchmaker, and then you are having a relationship with the men that she's matching you with. And our first date did not go well. Seema and I's first date did not go well. Um, Our second, you know, interaction was probably better. Our third was probably better. The matches kept getting more and more compatible to me. You see Jay by the end of it. you know, I think that there's something to be said about building a relationship with your matchmaker if you're going through that process and finding the matchmaker that's right for you um, in the same way that you're also finding the man who's right for you. Um, right. It's it's an interesting process and it's about relationships. And it, like I said, this is a service job and you have to serve your client and your client has to be you know at the forefront of your mind when you're making your decisions for that client. 
So yeah, you're so right. And that's a good point too, of like, if she's trying to match you, she needs to have a pretty strong understanding of you. And if you felt misunderstood by her, that would make her unable to perform her job. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. She has to understand me to match me. Right, right. She has to try to understand. Yes, right. Yeah, and that's what I couldn't quite figure out. Um, if Because on, on the one hand, I was, I was reading about this and they were like, it's great that Seema is open to like women who have been divorced. And she was like almost in a context of like praising her for that. I was like, oh, okay. So she seemed to be in the context of a, of a matchmaker to she's seen as being like a modern version of a traditional, you know, Indian matchmaker, or is she actually quite conservative and traditional? Like I don't have any context. I've never worked with an Indian matchmaker before, um, but I found her to be quite traditional and especially watching her throughout the show, but obviously yeah. that portrayal of how she was shown throughout the show too, right? Even I, I obviously understand that at a very basic level that the portrayal of Seema on the show shows her to be quite archaic in her matchmaking tendencies um, in the same way that she views men and women and their roles, who needs yeah. to be flexible, who, who is stubborn, who is arrogant and for what reasons, um, who is negative and who is positive. Like if you see the divorcee Rupam, she's very sweet and meek. She defers to her father and to Seema. She's trying to please everyone at that dining room table. And Seema's like, oh, what a wonderful young girl. Even if she's divorced, she's still lovely. And I was like, oh, hey, like... Yeah, to be, you know, this very pretty, young, sweet mother of one, you know, with this, you know, sympathetic story for Seema to even consider us to be kind people. That doesn't seem fair. Right. I totally agree. And those were some of my takeaways, too, that I was like, I don't know if I'm um, being unnecessarily judgmental or like projecting my own values or, or feminism onto her. Uh, but it did feel, yeah, quite unfair, quite favorable to the men. And um, all, even though it was depicted as kind of a modern hybrid approach because she was working, you know, in America and it wasn't like your parents are forcing you into this, you still have a decision. The process is perhaps modernized, but it didn't seem that she herself was. Yeah, but I think that they showed that women had a decision in general, right? Even Radhika, who is Akshay's bride-to-be, um, yeah. she says to Akshay, I've met five to six boys before you. So yeah. she is, you know, looking for her life partner and in a very, very traditional family, obviously, she's meeting Akshay. They're, you know, getting engaged the next week, allegedly. Right. So, um, and even she says she has choices. So I don't think the choice is ever not been there in arranged marriage. In fact, even some of my mom's friends who we call aunties, you know, our mom's friends are all aunties. Right. Even the aunties will joke, oh, I met, you know, 30 men before I picked, you know, my husband. So I think that choice has always been there. I don't think that makes her modern or traditional. I think that um, when people think arranged marriage, they think forced marriage. That's, I don't think from my understanding of South Asian culture, what it's ever been. Now, there are obviously cases and more cases than we would like, um, where maybe that is the case, especially with younger right. or more rural or more, you know, lower socioeconomic groups. But overall, even Aradhika and Akshay have a choice in the matter. And that's, more yeah, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And th these, this is, these are the, the misunderstandings, I think, 
people may have uh, that, yeah, are important to clarify. And I too was kind of thinking about um, what your, your mom was talking about, how important it was to her for you to have a decision. And I wasn't sure if that was kind of implying that, yeah, in, in many cases that that doesn't happen. Was your mom hesitant of you even like approaching like even the more modern or hybrid matchmaking process at all? No, she wasn't. I explained it to her off the bat that, you know, I'm on these dating apps. I'm going to weddings. I'm asking yeah. to introduce me. Hey, this could just be another avenue. And she was like, you're right. Yeah. You never know who you're going to meet and how are you going to meet them? And I thought to myself, what a funny way to say I met my husband. I, I had to go on an international Netflix show, but it came out with this wonderful ending. I'm actually quite romantic and quite like optimistic all the time. And that's what made me sign up. I think that's what made all of us sign up. The, yeah. the people I, I'm now friends with, my fellow contributors were all like really good friends. Some of us better friends than others, but everybody went on there so hopeful. They all had the best of intentions. They all wanted to like end the process with the most perfect match for them. And um, this is a season one of a show, right? There's no expectation about how big it's going to get or if you're going to get so-called fame or notoriety or any of that. It was just- right out the intent of the show, which was, hey, you get this opportunity to work with a matchmaker. We'll be taping you along the way. It's a docu-series about your culture and matchmaking. I thought, how cool? How cool would that be? Yeah. Well, and I, that's why I love a first season. There there really isn't the opportunity to overproduce yourself relative to how you assume you'll come out or like you've no, you've no norm to compare it to. So you're just kind of existing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're trusting in, in what's going on around you at all times because you have no reason not to. Like, I'm sure people on season two will realize now it's reality TV and probably, you know, consider what that means versus what all us initial contributors, you know, came in thinking the show was about. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of people have approached me and said, how can I apply? Like, I'm like, I don't know. Don't ask me. Find the Facebook. <laughs> Get on Facebook. Find the Facebook. <laughs> yeah, like. I don't know. I'm not a part of this process. <laughs> no. And I love that purity of intention of you just, you saw an ad that asks basic questions that you want. We're also looking for <laughs> answers to like, yeah, I think that's really cool. Do you think that like, if you realistically had matched with somebody that was long distance and in another city that would have worked, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing too, is just assuming like starting a relationship long distance. Yeah, I definitely think that would work. I, I believe in long distance relationships. I think that we have planes, trains, cars, FaceTime, Skype, all of those things. Um, it's a wonderful opportunity, mostly for the woman, because she's kind of um, getting the chance for the man to have to emotionally connect to her, right? Through his words and through his actions. Um, and yeah. a lot of times men in modern dating that I've found, I can't speak for all men, but the ones I've found, they want to grab drinks after work. They want to, you know, make dinner together. They're, they're, um, time spent with you want, is wanting to be a physical time, like not even physical intimate, but like it's easier to just have the person in front of you. Um, and long distance really weeds out those who, who are not straight with their intentions of what they want, because it's a lot of work to do long distance. And um, right. men who are up for it are up for it because they really want to be there and get to know you and, and you know, potentially form a, a long-term relationship with you, if not marriage. 
Well, that's such a good point. And all, yeah, it's like you're you optimize the, the times you have together. You're not like sitting around binge watching a show. You're probably like actually engaging with one another. <laughs> yeah, I've been in very successful long distance relationships. I've always enjoyed them, in fact, because I do then also get to get my own life and all that stuff. But then we also get to meet up on the weekends in a new city or in each other's hometowns. And, you know, we get to go on vacations together. And those times are precious and they're utilized and they're, um, you know, really we're focused on each other during that time because we know it's, it's finite. Right. Well, uh, another thing I, I thought was that I liked that you talked about, cause I know so many women that do this because you kind of have to, because it's a numbers game. <laughs> you were like, uh, I go to a wine bar at eight 30 at nine 45, they pick up the chairs. It like, that's the time I need. And I, it's predictable and I don't get stuck in a three hour dinner that way. And I think that if you're not online dating and if you're not dating a lot of different people, you maybe don't realize how exhausting it can be to be constantly having introductory conversations. And beyond that, you probably know pretty quickly if it's going to work or not, because a lot of stuff's chemistry based. And then to sit there and waste your time and their time, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's kind of good to have like an efficient means to date. And I kind of I, I thought that was really interesting. I don't even call it a first date that first time. It's like a pre-date. Like I'm seeing if I want to go on a date with you. So if the wine bar goes well, then we'll actually go on a date. Like we'll have dinner and we'll meet on a Friday, not a Tuesday night at 8.30, you know, like, but everyone's time is precious just because we work full days. And then I like to walk my dog at sunset and I like to do my Peloton. Then I like to shower. I have my own routine. And if I date at 8.30, I can finish my work day, get everything done, eat a nice healthy dinner, like get on my Peloton, like do all my things. And what are you really doing at 8.30 anyway? Usually by then you're winding down for the evening. So for me, it's deficient. Like I don't have to give up my routine or my life or anything um, to go on that date with that person. I love that. I think more people should take after you because I think sometimes the priority isn't your own feelings. It's the comfort of the other person. But if you're not interested anyway, like what's the point of like needlessly spending too much time or like, I don't know. Yeah, well, you kind of need to get them. Work. Like, you know, if you're meeting someone right after work, there's rush hour traffic. You have to wear a cute outfit all day. Like, you're not comfortable. You're often late. Like, I go to the same wine bar right, oh, right. right in front of it. You know, I'm like, this is great. Like, I know where I'm going to park. I know that it's easy parking. I could be in my normal clothes. I've already, like, worked out and, you know, you put on jeans and a shirt. Like, something more comfortable than my work outfit, which I'm a lawyer, yeah. so that's more comfortable. I'm like, this is great. I can curl my hair right before it. I don't have to have my hair curled all day. You know, put on a little lip gloss in the car. It's very efficient. I really recommend it. And too bad that now every woman in Houston has weaseled that wine bar out of my lips. And now I'm like, uh-oh, it's gone. I mean, nobody's going to well, – I'm not going to wine bars right now in COVID time, so it doesn't really matter. True. Hopefully by then they'll have forgotten about it because I think it it's, it's brilliant. <laughs> and I also like when I was dating, I lived in New York, and I, li- I worked above an Ann Taylor loft. and like. Mm-hmm. I would just go there and buy something if I felt like gross in my work clothes and I'd like get ready in the dressing room. And I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> like, I wish I didn't have to go to happy hour. Right. Happy hour is stressful. Happy, happy hour is like, work is late. Like if someone, if someone walks into your office at five 30 and you're rushing to this date and like you're getting there all frantic or you're texting the person like five 30, all of that's done. It's all done. Right. Yeah. The other uh, piece of this that I thought was really interesting is kind of the, uh, a lot of people asked about like, where can we get that astrologer's information? Um, I think people love the uh, cosmic piece of the consultation in terms of, I don't know, I feel like 
what did you think of that experience? I feel like at first you were kind of like get to the point, but then you kind of connected and he read you pretty well. So I've had my birth chart read twice before. Um, in our culture, you would get your birth chart read uh, multiple times throughout your life, but usually at least once. And what they do is they line up the stars at the exact moment you're born in the exact location you're born. So I was born at 1.48 yeah. p.m. in London, England. So they can look at the stars at that moment in London at that point, point and be like, this girl's got this in her future. And what's interesting is I got it done when I was like in my early 20s and then my mid late 20s. And then recently, obviously, for the show. And they've all said the same thing. And I'm like, this is weird. These people don't know each other. They don't know I've done this multiple times. Um, and everyone has always said, I'm not going to get married till I'm 34. Um, everyone has always said, I'm going to have twin boys. Um, whatever. We'll find out. <laughs> everyone said that? That's so everyone. interesting. All three of them have looked straight at my chart and been like, in fact, this guy, in fact, looked at the chart and just started laughing. He's like, twin boys. And I was like, I've heard that one before. <laughs> like, That's so interesting. Yeah. And they can... And, and they've all said that. And when I was 24 or something, and they told me I wasn't going to get married until I was 34 or older, I was like, forget you. That's not even possible. Like, that's so right. old. And then when I was 27 and they told me that I was 28, I was like, hmm. And then when I was sitting there and the guy's like, everything's changing for you. You're 17 years of, you know, of that part of your life being halted. It, it, it ends in November. I was like, oh, yeah, they've all said that. They've all said that, you know. Interesting. Here I am at 30. Now I just turned 30. I'm not just, but I turned 35 this year. And I'm like, okay, I feel ready. I do. Um, So hopefully. Yeah. Always hopefully. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Well, I I thought I liked how he explained it with the birth chart and being rooted in astronomy and like, because for a lot of people, it's like, I'm a Virgo, but I'm not very type A. So I'm always like, I don't know, but I've never had my birth chart read. I find that quite fascinating. And he seemed to really read you pretty well. And uh, aeronautical engineer at Boeing, he just retired. So he's very, very scientific. And that's why I was saying get to the point because he loves talking about the angles and the stars and the exact like, and so what you're seeing is me being like, I don't understand like science level or astronomy on that level. Like I took right. astronomy in like high school, I think in college too, I took 101, but yeah, he was getting really into that. And you see me kind of being like, okay, but what does it mean? <laughs> like, oh, right. And he was like, twin boy. It means twin boy. Oh, my God. oh goodness! Oh goodness! Oh goodness! <laughs> Did you feel a tangible uh, shift in June when was it? You were shifting to be navigated by Jupiter. Um, I don't know what June he was talking about. If it was this year or last year, I don't remember when I met him. The one when you were about to run a five k. That was in November. Oh, interesting. So in real life, he told me in November that things were going to start shifting and that I have a two and a half year window to find my partner. And and it started November 1st. So now we're in July. Oh, and that was November 1st of 2019. Yeah. And I was just said on November 1st, I'm going to be running that 5k in New York. So am I going to like literally run into someone like, but he said that's when the star period opened for the two and a half. Okay. He's like, everything's going to get sorted. You're going to get the the family, you're going to get the husband, not in that order. You're going to get the husband. (laughs) He's like, it's all going to be sorted in that two and a half years, but you have to be focused on it. And I was like, I'm focused. I'm on the show. Like, what do you want from me? Oh my gosh. So many people like what are, were interested in, um, yeah, getting a reading like that. Cause it seemed productive and like, 
uh, yeah, he understood it. And it wasn't like lofty and unspecific. It was kind of like, yeah, spot on. His email address. So if people want it, he's like, I'm open to it. He's retired now. So he's like, I'll do it for people. I'm like, all right, I'm putting it out there. I put it on Instagram the other day and like five women were like, yes, people are messaging messaging me all the time. They're like, what is his email address? And I'm like, here it is. You can have it. He said I could give it to anyone. He's excited. He loves astrology. Like he's done it on the side for years. Um, And now that he's finally retired, he's like, this is wonderful that I get to share this with people. Oh my gosh. I'll have to get it from you and post it after when I, when the episode is up. Cause people like, that was a very commonly asked question. Um, it's happy to talk to all of you. It's <laughs> amazing. Do you mind if I read some questions from people on Instagram? Of course. Um, so it's, it kind of is interesting. Cause to be honest with you, there's like questions positioned, like, did she actually let Dilip talk during their date? You know? And it's like, well, they showed you the part of it where you were talking. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. None of the guys. I mean, I'm best friends with all of them now. We obviously all parted on really good terms. Um, again, you guys didn't see the the dates. The dates were hours and hours long. Um, <laughs> Shaker is so sweet. He goes around telling everyone. He's like, she did not cut me off like that. She did not. And I'm like, oh, Shaker, don't even worry about it. It's it's television. Like, don't. And he's like, no, I have to tell people. And I'm oh, like, that's nice. He seemed like a nice guy. He's nice. Billup is wonderful. Jay is wonderful. I literally talk to them all every day. Like, I'm very lucky. I love that. I walked away from this process with such good friends. And, and you know, there's a camaraderie between all of us that, you know, defies logic or reason but maybe it's just a show or maybe we all just respect each other I, I don't know but I still feel very yeah and, th- and I think it's important especially when you're going through such an unusual circumstance have people sharing the experience mm-hmm. um yeah. and that answers the question a lot of people asked of are you still dating Jay I take it no 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 but we're we're talking he recently told Oprah magazine that he's put it back on the table I'm like well I have not heard wow. that <laughs> Yeah, that's so funny. Uh, He is moving to New York in January for work. He's already transitioned to job and I'm trying to move there in the next three, six, nine months. I don't know when. Um, Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So um, I, who knows? I don't think so. Who knows? Yeah. Um, Okay, somebody said, why did you become a lawyer if you hate it? Um, I decided when I was seven, like I said on the show, I think a lot of Asian or even very motivated kids decide something and then go on the track and follow it through and follow it through. And then one day you spent $200,000 going to law school and you have the law degree and you're like, okay, I'm going to practice. And then I've changed my practice multiple times trying to find one that suits me um, and fits me better. But I don't think it's law for me. And I also don't see why that's controversial. Why do we all have to love the jobs that we're in? Like, that's a weird millennial perspective on it. Like, we're not all that lucky. We don't all get to be that lucky. And that's okay. What I did is on the side, I started my golden balloon and I found an outlet for my creativity and my passions. And I work hard at it every Sunday. Even now, I was like, I'm not going to give it up. I turned off my phone the first Sunday that the show even launched, which was a crazy thing to do. And for six hours, I worked on my business because I give it six hours every Sunday. Like if I say that I don't love my daytime job, well, then I better find love in the other things that I do. And I feel like I have yeah. And I think that's a really important thing to consider. There is a very millennial trope of like, you know, find a job you love. You'll never work another day in your life or like follow your passion. And, and following your passion is actually quite a privileged perspective to come from. And it's not a reality for most 
people and it doesn't you don't have to make it a reality like a lot of people find their joy and passion doing like ancillary activities outside of their job and there's nothing wrong with that and like you said there can be a lot of like investment and sunk costs in a particular profession and yeah do you have to i don't know i just think any even the things i've done that i've loved they turn into work yeah and i almost think it's an unhealthy attitude to think that they won't yeah, I, I totally believe that. I'm surprised that there's so much backlash on that. People are like, how can you hate what you do? I'm like, I'm sorry, does the whole world love what they do? Did I miss that memo? Because I, I, I've i never met those people. My peers who are lawyers don't love it either. Like a few may, might, but most of them are like, hey, like it's a profession I chose. It pays my bills. Right. I've you know started a family or bought a home and now I'm in these golden handcuffs. Like, yeah, we all get into predicaments and situations that aren't ideal sometimes. I don't think that's a crime. No, I think you're 100% right. Um, somebody wanted to know, I don't know if you can say this, do you, do you know how much SEMA's services cost? I actually looked it up. I Googled it, so they too can Google it. And it says okay. uh, approximately 3 to 5K. And you just have to fly her? I don't know how that part works. Or anything that's like interesting. That. I, and, and I don't even know if that's accurate. That's not on her website. That was like a question that someone had posed on Google. And I was like, hey, hmm. how much does she cost? So it's obviously she gets paid in the rupee. And that's, um, I think about oh, right. 65 to one right now or 70 to one for the US dollar. P- what people get paid online is a real, it's, it's a real toss up, like celebritynetworth.com. It's like the most inaccurate thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, but she costs. Right. That's interesting. Um, but she has a okay. website type in her name. It's called suitablerishta.com. So Rishta means, um, okay. I think it means like forming a relationship, like a bond, R-I-S-H-T-A. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Because a lot of people asked about matchmaking. Um, so yeah, people are kind of asking like how like, have you gotten negative comments and how have you dealt? You got a lot of love too, obviously. But mm-hmm. um, I think people are just so curious, like uh, what it's like being a normal person all of a sudden getting an onslaught of, of commentary. We talked a little bit about it earlier, but mm-hmm. um, are, are, are you getting to a place where you're kind of reading less? Definitely. I have to. Well, also the volume has gone up tenfold on day yeah. one, everything. Um, and not realizing that on day one is when the trolls come out too. I don't know anything about cycles of shows, but everyone who's talked to me since then is like, yeah, you don't read the first few days because the people who are binging it are not the people, you know, who are thinking about it or considering what it means or, you know, pacing it out over a few days and watching the show in like bigger in smaller chunks. Um, And at first it was just so noisy. It was all just so noisy and overwhelming. And that that was when the month thing came out, like day one was month one and it was, it was crazy. And two, and now I'm at day 10 and I read a lot less. Um, people are sending me articles, friends, and there's more and more features that are supporting me as the quote unquote heroine, um, whatever that means of the show. And it seems that the thought pieces are speaking out a lot more now at this point in the conversation and peeling back all those layers that we talked about. Whereas at first, I think the noise was from a lot of individual viewers who were, had very visceral reactions to the show and to the way that I was portrayed on the show. Um, and again, it's mm-hmm. a portrayal on a show. And it's surprising to me because I don't watch a lot of television. How many people don't realize that? Um, that right. are sound bites and clips and story arcs and all those things that aren't real. Like, they aren't real. Um, right. 
so even that's been really shocking to me. So I just soak in the positivity and a lot of the the high level press that's talking about it. High level meaning like above the the normal viewer. There's like this conversation up here, and it's a lot of press and a lot of critique and a lot of reviews, good and bad, for the show and for my role in the show. And I, I listen to that a little bit more, but even now. I've got a full-time job. I've got a dog who's sick. Like I was in the ER for three hours with him last night. Like my life, oh, no. is my life, you know, like I'm still a lawyer in Houston, Texas, trying to figure out a way to move to New York in a few months and start, you know, looking at, at lifestyle changes there. And, and I just have a lot on my plate right now. And, um, I gave this a few, a week solid and now I'm tired. <laughs> That's fine. Right. The and, like, and I'm happy to have these kinds of conversations, but like reading every Instagram comment or I don't even have a Twitter account, but if I were to get on there, I'm sure I wouldn't like it. Um, no, it's awful. It's a cesspool. It's like, yeah, what? like you have so, to, too much going on and you're too successful to worry about like what Velociraptor 90X like cares about your personality. It's like, yeah. what's that, what, is, what impact should that have on your life? Sometimes I see it on Instagram coming in and I'll just kind of read it and like cock my head to say and be like, what is going on? Like, how, how sad or mad is this person right now in the world that they're coming to my personal Instagram page to write these really hateful things. And for me, it just actually makes me sad. And I'm like, Oh man, like, do you feel this way about people that you've never met? Like, Right. It's trust me. It's shocking the way people are very convinced that they've seen every facet of you and can make an inadequate enough call to tell you directly. Right. Right. It's, it's pretty wild. And I think to your point, like, are you honest and and direct and know what you want? Yes. Does there an element of editing make you appear rude at times, like cutting people off? And I think that's where you have to clarify, like that, like you weren't, like you said, with um, Shaker, Shaker, you weren't cutting him off constantly to be yeah. like, oh, well, the sex tourism, like, you know, <laughs> or whatever that conversation was. Yeah, it sounded interesting. Yeah, we were having a very intelligent conversation about Cuba and how sad it was to see the poverty and the sex tourism and the way that they have utilized and relied on Europeans that have, you know, um, really wronged them and, and, and forced them into roles maybe they wouldn't want because America wasn't um, traveling there. I mean, Shaker and I yeah. are both very intelligent lawyers and we were really saddened by what we saw when we were there. And he yeah. said to me, he's like, you know, I would have, I would want to have those conversations on a first date with someone anyway, because it teaches me about their perspective and their worldview and, and the way that they process that they're not just there for the beach in Cuba, but like right. what's happening in this country, what's the economic climate, how is that affecting our tourist experience there? And he's like, man, like it makes it sound like you're just talking about sex tourism. And I was like, but you and I know, right? Like you and I understand right. that was a really cool conversation that we were having and that we really empathized with the people of Cuba. And we wanted to be a conscientious tourist when we went there and to have our friends also who travel after us be conscientious tourists. And that right. was our that conversation, but I guess not on the show. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally understand that. And and another thing I wanted to clarify, like, I think, uh, or thing I saw a lot in the questions was like, uh, your comment about not liking when people talk to like servers or bartenders. Did, yeah. you, did you mean like engage in a lengthy discussion as yeah. opposed to polite? Yeah. Exchange. Politely exchange with them, ask them their recommendations on wine. How long have they worked there? What's, you know, their favorite thing on the menu. But like when I'm on a first date with someone and it's more than 10 minutes and I'm like on my 55 minute date and they've spent 10 minutes and they're talking about their, you know, the, 
the wait staff um, children or his uh, affinity for the Texans football or what do they think about that player who got hurt? Oh, God, no. And <laughs> that actually has happened? All the time. All the time. They'll have That's like wild. conversations that are very personal. And I'm sitting there looking up, trying to do the sweet smile and act engaged. And this happens to me a lot. Like, and maybe it's because I'm in the South and people are really friendly, but like, I'm like, look, it's our first date. Like, 55 minutes is all I have. Like, can we just focus on each other? See if we like each other. Always be kind right. to people that serve you. Always, always. I attribute, like, I mean, I ascribe to that all the time. Um, yeah. The first one that's going to tell you tip 20%, look them in the eye, know their name, say thank you. Like, these people are serving us literally, and nowadays more than ever. Um, so it's interesting that that was the way that I was portrayed too. I was very much speaking about. Let's not get into Texans football um, strategy <laughs> for 10 minutes while I still haven't ordered and my stomach's kind of grumbling and I would like to just place my drink order if even, you know, like. Right. No, I think that's an important clarification because, yeah, it's like most people would prefer that their date be respectful to the people they're interacting with, of course. But mm -hmm. yeah, a 10 minute, that's insane. Like, I, I didn't even assume that because I haven't, I don't know if I've uh, seen that happen. But yeah, part of me is like, are they trying to impress you? Because that does seem a little bit rude to just have a separate side conversation. But yeah, maybe in Texas. Well, sometimes like get over at you and, and like try to engage you and you're like, I don't want to be engaged. I want to order. Like. <laughs> like a plate and maybe charcuterie. <laughs> I, there were so many questions. I was like, it was like 25 scrolls of the question box. That's awesome. Um, somebody asked, asked as much as I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, somebody asked, uh, what roles did your mother's expectations play in the matchmaking experience? We kind of talked about that. None. They, my mom is the sweetest, kindest person and actually has no uh, say in my dating life, she's never even met anyone I've ever dated before. I ascribe to the policy that you can meet my mother once you have decided you want to marry me. So she does not, everyone's like, oh, your mom's expectations. I'm like, she actually just doesn't care. She's like, tell me when you're getting married. Like, find someone you like, bring them home. Like, let's meet them. Yeah. And so it's interesting to see that portrayal on television because it's really not the way that my life has been led for the past 10, 15 years with dating. Well, it's interesting because it was kind of two separate like talking heads your mom had. The one where she was talking about you dating and getting married, she was like, all I want is for her to be happy. Mm -hmm. But when she was kind of explaining your backstory, the, I think she was saying like, you know, my I have high expectations. Like I wanted them to have multiple degrees. I wanted them, uh, I wanted to be respected in my community. And I think that those were two different conversations that are maybe being like intertwined in terms of her being really particular about who you would ultimately marry. Mm -hmm. But she never says I expect that of my no. son. She says I expect that of my daughters. And my sister's getting her PhD now, has a master's degree. I have my JD. We've always wanted to pursue our educations. Um, that's been important to us as individuals. And right. We've done that on our own accord. And she's proud of us for that. Um, because a lot of women who are of South Asian descent don't get that opportunity. Their families would prefer them to stop their education so that they could start the next phase of their life as a wife and a mother. And she never... Yeah that of us she in fact you know always said move forward my sister's been married for eight years and is getting her phd now like she's married and getting her phd her husband supports her in it and um, so yeah it was interesting to see that people thought that was like something that she wants or needs to see in the people that i bring home to her and that's just not the case right it's not what she said a couple of people asked about your relationship with your sister 
we have a good relationship. We're only two years apart. We're very different. Um, and I think that's another thing, right? You don't pick your sisters. Would I have loved like a clone of myself as a sister? Yeah, sure. Um, but did I get an <laughs> awesome, cool sister that's not like me? Yeah, definitely. I'm right. happy for her. She's very outdoorsy. Like she used to live in Madison. And when I visit her in Wisconsin, we'd like go kayaking and snowshoeing. And like these are, you know, yeah. Sorry, I lifetime membership for one of my birthdays one year. And I still get like weird dividend checks once in a while from them. And I'm like, why am I getting dividends? From Lifetime? From REI. The, From I'm, REI. <laughs> I have like an REI dividend check that comes in occasionally. And I'm like, what is happening? And that's like, amazing. She made me a Lifetime member of REI. Like, um, That's so, amazing. We're obviously very different, but we love each other. We speak um, every day via text or, or whatever. She lives in Houston. I see her and her husband all the time. Um, more so in COVID times because we're a quarantine. Um, we see only each other. Yes. Yeah. So That's a great term quarantine I haven't heard of that oh, yeah yeah we picked our team in the beginning and we stuck to it and um, some of my friends quarantined with another family that had kids their same age so the kids had constant interaction so quarantine is yeah. important I love quarantine uh, somebody said just tell Aparna that she made me realize that you should never fucking settle I love her absolutely <laughs> yeah. um and people also mentioned like how they love seeing your personality in the goat yoga date that's my personality all the time I'm yeah. a yoga girl like I love goat yoga so much. I went into my birthday party there with my 30 best friends a month later. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm the one who's going to try goat yoga. I'm the one who's going to go away on crazy trips for the weekend. Like I'm adventurous. Right. I loved that date. Why do you think the show didn't really finish anybody's story? They want a season two. I mean, they've said that the production company is like, we just wanted to see if the viewers wanted more. Oh, and then Netflix this is like, yeah, almost their minimum viable product and they pivot accordingly, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Netflix has not uh, agreed to a season two yet. Um, we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, it's not confirmed. But the production company obviously has angled the whole show to, to lead like that. Also, between us and now everyone listening, I didn't find someone. So you had to kind of pivot the show in some way. Like, right, right. Like just logistically speaking, I can't speak for the production teams and stuff like that but logistically speaking it was not a good ending right yeah I, I people felt like a little left like hung out to dry like like well what happened is she still yeah is she still dating jay or people are really curious about nadia and shaker um but that you were in the first four episodes right and then they kind of shifted the five okay yeah i roll off again. um this person said the show indicated a change in her throughout the process. If she says she changed, what was the catalyst? Would you say she changed or let you changed or like they just started to sh portray you more accurately? Yeah, I'd say that. Um, I'd say in my point of view, I recognized versions of myself throughout. Obviously I said some of those sound bites in, you know, whether or not I said them in that context or not, I said them, but um, definitely I, I, I saw myself in the goat yoga date as the person that uh, my friends see and my family knows and the men that I've dated in the past know. I mean, that's why I'm still friends with the three people I went on dates with. Cause even in our dates that were, you know, six, eight hours long, um, right. life, they saw that side of me too. That's why we're still, you know, all on good terms because I would never cut someone off like that. And I would never not have them be polite to the wait staff. And I would always listen to their point of view because I am trying to get to know them. Right. It's not just right. getting to know them, getting to go know me. It's I'm really putting them on the spot a lot. So in fact, I find I ask a lot more questions of the men I go on dates with. And if they try to turn it on me, I'm like, no, no, let's talk more about you. <laughs> I actually want right, yeah. to you because I'm 
figuring you out right now. And that's important to me. I always kind of joke about conversations involving tra- travel seem objectively pretentious because obviously it's, you know, it's a, it's a privilege to be able to travel, but to, to talk about it doesn't necessarily mean you're like, or I, what was a South Africa are really mad at me. And I'm like, don't be mad at me. I just said I didn't like it because when I went, it was many years ago and there were many people that were very racist to me as a South Asian. And I felt very uncomfortable mm. there. Like I went, Context. In yeah, I went in 2005 um, and this was even pre-World Cup. And I got a lot of really into a lot of uncomfortable situations like with people because I was traveling with people who were blonde and blue eyed and I was their Indian friend. And people literally told me things like go back to the township where you came from and like all these things. And I'm like, geez, geez I'm just visiting your country as an American trying to taste your wine and hang out. Like, right. I don't feel comfortable here. Like, I don't I don't like it. I'm not going back if I get that reception again. It was unfortunate because it was such a beautiful country, but I felt really uncomfortable. I really did. What you're entitled to, you know, it's like. You don't have to be positive about everything ever, especially not artificially. Right. Um, you also said like uh, well, something like Dubai is like great if you like Disney World. Yeah. Do you like Disney World? And uh, no, not particularly. <laughs> I had a feeling. Do, but do you mean it's just like it's almost built? It's, built. It's, it's not a city that tourism followed. It's a city built for tourism like, like Vegas yeah like some people love Vegas right. too, and they love the entertainment and the high spectacle shows and the um you know blow your mind optics of some of the cool things that they've built so if you like then Disney's like that too right they have cool rides and optical illusions and uh, you know castles and music and fairy tales and and those are these are cities that are built to cater to that traveler so if you are that kind of traveler you will really enjoy Dubai like if you want to dine in the sky and skydive over the palm and you know yeah the fountains at the Burj Al Arab but then you're gonna love Dubai is it for me no no it's not for me and that's okay too like what right what isn't for a lot of people either like a lot of people are like I don't want to go to Chile and I'm like okay but I do like yeah okay like well, yeah, and then they kind of like selectively chose parts of the conversation. Like you were walking out, and they, you were saying something about like being on a mountain in Patagonia, mm-hmm. um, and like yeah, it was, it, they did, they almost just kept like se- selecting things that you were saying you didn't have a good experience. And I'm sure you were also talking about a lot of the things you loved. Yeah, I said I loved Patagonia, but when I was on the top of the mountain, my new hiking boots hadn't been broken in, and my toes were bleeding, and I couldn't get back down the mountain, with, and my toes were literally gushing through my socks. I could feel the blood. And I was like, it was miserable. Like, what was I doing up there in new hiking boots? Like, God, I'm such a novice hiker. I'm terrible at the outdoors. I was trying my best to try something new, and it failed on me. I failed on me. I didn't know to break in my hiking boots. Like, yeah, I, went I wouldn't know that. I went to REI and I was like, I need new hiking boots. They gave me some. No one told me like walk around them in your house for two weeks prior to the trip, like wear thick tube socks. Like, so here I am by myself. You know, I, I wanted to do like this solo travel moment for myself where I climbed this mountain and I'm bleeding and I'm by myself and the sun is going down and I don't know how I'm going to walk to the bottom of this mountain. And I'm thinking, fail. Yeah. It's a hilarious example of context. Like, yeah, absolutely. That's awful. That, and it's like to be having a really incredible once in a lifetime experience, but have a discomfort that disables you from being present oh, is frustrating. On. Yeah. I mean, I got um, to that mountain and I was crying. I was in so much pain because I had to get to the oh, bottom. That's awful. Yeah. Well, well, next time I will break in my hiking boots. Like, 
What is your favorite kind of off the grid place you've ever been? Um, oh, there's so many. Uh, Favorites are kind of an annoying question too, because you can like things for different reasons. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed Japan a lot. I don't know if that's off the grid anymore, but when I went in 2005, it was more. Um, now it's become quite trendy. Uh, I loved Ecuador. I recently went with girlfriends, not recently, this past year for a long weekend. Um, yeah. I was surprised at how beautiful it was and how amazing the people were. Um, I just went to Colombia this past year too. So after I said that, what did I say? I'm at 40 countries. Everyone's been yeah. asking, what's your 41st country? I uh, yeah. went to Panama, Ecuador, and Colombia right after that. So. so now you're at 43, 44? And then I went to Jordan with my golden balloon. So 45. Oh, right, right. The company's called My Golden Balloon, right? Yes, yes. That's the concept. Okay, good. Um, the concept started with a woman gets, or a lot of men too, but we get black balloons on our 40th birthday. Um, and we said, forget the black balloon that says you're over the hill, like your thirties and forties is when you grab everything by the hand and like, make it, make it work for you. It's your golden time. So you get a golden balloon. You don't get a black balloon. No more over the hill talk. I love that. And I've never, I didn't realize that black balloon is my favorite Goo Goo Doll song, but I hate the sentiment. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. It's like, you can look at people telling their travel stories, like as them you know, flexing on the things they've done. But I also think people have learned some of the most important life lessons while traveling. And it's a really great connection point. And like, of course, you're going to talk about it on a date. Yeah, especially because I have this company that they're like, what do you do in your free time? Right. And I'm like, I have this travel company, I love to travel. And they're like, Oh, tell me about your travels, because these men are very kind, grounded men. And they hear I have an interest, and they want to hear, talk about that interest. Um, and I guess, lastly, like, is there anything like we didn't cover or like criticisms of the show or misunderstandings or anything you feel like, People are constantly saying that you wish you could clear up or anything like that. I mean, we covered that Srini situation for me. That was very hurtful. To that see. was a big one. Yeah. yeah, it was really hurtful for me to see because it made me come off as so cruel and judgmental over someone's career and their path. And imagine I'm so sensitive and so uh, passionate about my golden balloon. What if someone judged me on that? I would be heartbroken. And so I don't ever blame the viewer for thinking that that was, you know, something wrong that I said, if they thought I said it about him and his career, like off camera, we went to dinner and we were out till three o'clock in the morning and we were getting to know each other. And, um, you know, things happened during that period that we, we don't see as the viewer and right. Just hard for me to, to, to see that the, there's so many people that believe that I could say that about someone. Cause I would never, I support everyone's passions and their work and, I would hope that people would do that for me too. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a really important clarification because that was early on. That was episode one. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, people then start to shift the lens. They look at the rest of it through and aren't treating every situation individually and fairly. Yeah. And, and that's television for you. And I don't, you know, I don't think right. that's good or bad. I think that's the way it is. Right. Interesting. No, this is, this is so wonderful. I'm sorry. Is it Conan your dog's name? Yeah, Conan. Oh, I'm sorry. He's not doing is. Did he get hurt? No, he just like threw up the other day. And um, since then, his breathing's been pretty labored. And, you know, small dogs, I don't know if you've ever had a small dog. He's my first. But they, when they aspirate like that, they can get pneumonia and different things can happen just from one event of throwing up. And so yesterday, I just rushed him to the ER. He was breathing funny. So I just oh. stay up all night and I watch him and I watch him because like, if he gets worse, I want to take him to the hospital and yeah, he's like on a cocktail of meds right now. He's, you know, I got him from the shelter five years ago. They told me he was 12 and that nobody wanted him. He had been badly 
and neglected. Um, all his teeth were so rotted. So I don't know if you saw him on the show, but his little tongue hangs out. And everyone's like, what's wrong with your dog? I'm like, he has no teeth. I had to take them out when I got him because they were so like rotted and bloody and, you know, infected. Ugh. And it was so scary. So they told me he would only like, he was so old that he, you know, it was basically like a senior dog situation, but he's lasted five years and he's otherwise quite healthy. And Oh my God, bless his heart. He's so cute. And that was a funny scene when she asked about your kitten. Yeah, my kitten. Uh, <laughs> I'm so grateful you talked to me for this long. And I, so many people want to hear from you and I'm really excited for this interview. And I, I think it was really enlightening to hear more of the context surrounding a lot of the dialogue, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just, yeah, I, I hope that this ultimately is a positive experience for you. It sounds like it already was, and you at least have friends from it. And I hope your company gets plenty of attention. I, I, my philosophy, I can't, I had, I, I've, I've gotten to a point where I've stopped reading um, negative commentary because it's just kind of like, how seriously in your life are you going to absorb in, feedback from people you don't respect or don't know you personally? Like you almost can't. Yeah. But I understand you. I also have empathy for them because of the way that this yeah. made. And like, I don't know if I blame their, their reactions really. I mean, I don't like them, but I, I know who I am. Like I said, I like me. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, just always rely on that. And, and there has been so many positives. Like, I don't know if I mentioned it, but women from all over the world are reaching out to me. I'm like literally crying sometimes when I'm reading my DMs because these women are often in toxic relationships and trying to leave them. And just seeing a woman say that she wants something and then believing that she deserves something is empowering to them. And that was never my intention. I went on this show to go on a docuseries about finding a husband. And now women are saying things to me like, wow, if I could speak up for myself or if my daughter could speak up for herself like you do, then I've done my job as a mother. And there's so many beautiful positive things that are coming out of it that it's so easy for me now as I shift my perspective to to pay heed to those and to listen to those and to have conversations with those people and um, because they're often sharing very raw very unfiltered things with me and and I can't believe that the show had such a positive impact on them it's really a beautiful thing to see I think if women are taking away an empowering message from this they absolutely should because I think that your honesty is is refreshing in a sea of people that are trying to self-produce yeah. um yeah. otherwise the, the honesty that's shown is refreshing, I hope. <laughs> yes, yes. In real life is also probably refreshing, I hope. Um, yes. I hope so. And, um, you know, it, it is an interesting ride and it's interesting to see how it's evolved even in 10 to 12 days, the conversation and the perceptions. And I'm sure that will continue. And here's the thing with Netflix too, like things come and go so quickly. Like next week, we'll all be talking about another show. So my only hope and desire is that these conversations continue in our families, in our Facebook groups, in our friend groups, like, conversations about women and their voices and and the way that we talk about colorism and casteism and economics. And if these conversations can continue from the show, then the show has done more than it could have ever desired to do. Right. And that's kind of what I, at the beginning, like, I didn't know, I think people like expect like a, a perspective or outcome from a show. And I think some people were frustrated that it depicts casteism and misogyny and, you know, certain aspects of gender inequality, but doesn't correct for them. But even sparking the conversations important, right? That continuing that dialogue is the most important piece above all else, above all like the comedy or, you know, the the side effects of the program, but. Or, or the or the zingers that I have in there, or the sound bites. 
Right, the sound bites. They'll be on t-shirts soon. You don't know. People have been asking me. They're like, "Can you make t-shirts from all the things you say?" I'm like, "I don't know. Can I? Yeah, I guess I could." <laughs> you, you truly could have merch. <laughs> what you didn't know about the Bolivia salt flats? Oh, I hate comedy. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, H- hating the beach and hating comedy, I think, are the ones I've seen on memes the most that made me laugh. In the book, yeah, the salt flats. To be fair, when I, w- yeah, when I had the first episode on. I was like, this is so interesting. Are people watching this? And then I was looking, I was looking for you. Maybe I was looking for you on Twitter, which makes sense now. And I was like, I wonder if Parna. And then I deactivated because I was like, these people are mean. And I'm not Twitter <laughs> before. And so I was like, I don't need to have it after. And if this is the Twitter sphere, I'm not, I'm not here for it. I'm like a very positive person in real life, which is strange considering the show portrayal. But I'm like, I can't have this negativity in my life. No, it's not helpful. And people people just type and don't think. And it really has no bearing on their real opinion or life. I think people go for the comedy, the hyperbole. Right. Like it's not helpful feedback. And um because I, I think and I because I had talked about it like two or three times. And at first I was like, I can't, I was like, I don't know if a partner has social media. It wouldn't surprise me if she thought it was like cheesy for people to share their travels on social media, because I wasn't sure if you thought like travel bloggers and stuff like because I kind of wanted to see like what your content was like. And then a few people, I don't know if they went to college with you. I had a lot of people that had some connection to you that were like, oh, my God, she is awesome. And um, then I was like, I just want to clarify. I actually think like I really respect her self-respect and decisiveness. (laughs) And I just think she I pretty much think she was just of being a person in her thirties that knows what she wants. And we're all like chastising her for having standards. Like let's pump the brakes. (laughs) There is a lot of my friends are going out there and I'm like, like telling them, don't worry about it. Like, I don't need defending. I mean, I don't, I don't understand, but even like my dates are going out there. Like Jay's responding to people on my Instagram and I'm like, Jay, don't do that. Like it doesn't matter. People are standing up for me left, right and center. And that, you know, for me, that's very special too, because I, I just have friends everywhere in every corner, it seems. Yeah. Me on all these different forums. Like there's a mom's lawyers group, which apparently was like ripping into me. And my roommate was like, no way, no way. Like you guys don't get to say this about my roommate. And like went off giving them all these examples about how I'm like this loving, fleshed out, multifaceted person. And I'm like, thanks roommate. Like that's really right. not to do that. Well, and even if you don't need it, I do, I actually think it's important reminding people that everything's not as it seems, because I think when people take to social media to speak about the oversimplified depictions of women, they're also teaching women how they need to behave to make other people comfortable. And if it's, if it's not depicting reality, and then we're responding or forming our personalities to something that isn't reality, Mm -hmm. I do think it's important to point out because I wouldn't want anybody to think that being honest about what you want or not settling is in any way off-putting. Yeah. And I think that's very true about women. So there's a certain blogger that a lot of my friends follow or influencer or something. And she's a mom of two. And, you know, I think she's, you know, says she's beat cancer and stuff. And she said some pretty hurtful things about me on the show. And she's South Asian like me. And my friends were like, no, like, you don't get to speak about a South Asian woman in our community like this based on a portrayal of her on television. And, you know, this reached out to me and apologized, took down all the posts and really learned and grew from it she said and she you know her other followers wrote very sweet notes that she posted as well and I think that there's something to be said too about the way that we consume media nowadays and if maybe I can bring that to the forefront with the way that I was portrayed just a little bit then even that helps right because after this there'll be another show and there'll be another woman that's depicted like yeah. me and then there'll be another and then there'll be another what if we become smarter consumers of television for television's sake right exactly no I think that's a really important thing to consider that 
I maybe analyze TV so much that I, by default, give people the benefit of the doubt, but we're just not a society that loves to give people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. <laughs> Assume it could be uh, not what it seems, but oh my yeah. gosh. Well, you were the best. Do you mind telling people where they can find you if they want to reach out or get the astrologer's email or just yeah, golden balloon as well? Yeah. So it's my golden balloon is my Instagram page for that. And I have a website as well, www.mygoldenballoon.com. And then my Instagram's open. It's up. There's constant content on there. I've had it I think for seven, eight years. So people are going all the way back and consuming all of my content. <laughs> like, you have highlights from all your trips. I was enjoying them. Well, I, I want to see people's content from, that take interesting trips. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I forgot I do that, but I did. I did that before, you know, I just do them as right. I'm on the trip and I don't think about it. So you're right. The highlights are up there. Um, starting, I think, from like a year or two back when they made highlights. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's the best way to reach me. I do read DMs. I don't get to message everyone back, but um, I do read them. So if people are asking about his email address or about my company or anything like that, I usually respond to those. And if they're just giving me some support and encouragement, I appreciate it. So if that's where, if you sent a message like that, thank you. But I've not responded to all of this because thousands come in every day. I think it's only going to get, I mean, I just think this show is going to continue to take off kind of, it reminds me of the trajectory of love is blind. The first couple weekends, people were like, oh, this show's really interesting. And then it like, like it, it, it almost like uh word of mouth spreads and it takes off. Well, I, I only hope for the best for you. you. Take care. I hope salt flats are in your near future. And I know for a traveler, COVID's like a special form of torture. So fingers crossed us all being able to. Right now, but who knows? It's easier to get everywhere from New York. So once I move there, I'm yeah. across to Europe all the time and do all kinds true. of stuff. Okay. Well, thank you, Parna. I hope you have a wonderful day and I hope Conan feels better. Thank you. I appreciate that. Right. Take care. Bye. I hope you guys liked this episode. I thought it was really interesting. It provided a lot of insight into the editing and production of it. I thought it was so fascinating that she didn't, she thought it was more of a docuseries. Um, and I think what I, what a lot of us probably read from the show, like she seemed more herself in that goat date. She's kind of, you know, concurred as well. But wasn't that interesting with like the Patagonia hiking boots or Cuba or um, the context behind South Africa? Like when you take sound bites, you know, and she's actually having discourse that is mutually uh, that's, that's going on on both sides. But you don't see it that way. It is just an interesting decision to uh, present it that way. Like she's cutting people off, interrupting them and like acting insufferably when she's very close friends with these people and they were having like nice conversations. And um, also, yeah, like you cannot be people's cup of tea and that's fine. It's it's so I don't know. I I, I really appreciated her talking to us and I thought she um, provided a lot of really helpful context that I would have not have known otherwise. So I hope this was a good use of your time as well. And uh, yeah, I'll let you go. If you want to follow me on Instagram at be there in five, please do. I also have a lot of deep dives on so many topics, whether it's Mormon mommy bloggers, the purity movement, TikTok, Bumble, call her daddy, podcast drama, <laughs> We've be, it was being a bridesmaid, being in a sorority, we've done it all. So if you're new here, please come back. I'd love to have you and support our advertiser, Glossier. Go to Glossier.com slash podcast slash be there in five for 10% off their makeup and skincare and fragrance products. And beyond that, uh, join our uh, PowerPoint parties and get lots of bonus content at patreon.com, P A T R E O N.com slash be there in five. That's where I do bonus content behind a paywall, like me filming myself for 90 minutes reacting for the first time to Taylor Swift's folklore album, where I literally cry maybe twice every minute or so. 
I was after the Britney podcast. Oh, I did a Britney Spears deep dive last week and I was exhausted. And then she announced the surprise album and I stayed up all night. I was so tired. It's so much wine. It was honestly maybe the perfect scenario to review folklore in. But anyways, there's lots of fun stuff up there, like 100 bonus episodes or whatever. And yeah, I hope you guys have a great week. Stay tuned for another episode coming at some point. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, Trying to get it together. And uh yeah, check back on Instagram for updates. I wish I was in Boston tonight with you guys before Loverfest. It is truly paining me. <sighs> maybe one day. Maybe during Folk Loverfest. I don't know. Maybe I, I will make it back to Boston. I just can't even imagine how glorious it would have been to stand in a room with 300 plus of you and just like geek out over Lover the album, get excited for the concert. And I had a really great whimsy pantsuit for this. I'm not going to lie. But alas, I can wear it. I can wear it again. Uh, okay, guys. I hope you have a great weekend. And now, as always, let me know your thoughts and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear.